Well, good afternoon to everyone. It's certainly good to be here with each and every one of you. As Josh was saying earlier, my name is Chase Byers from the Overland Church of Christ in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Um, and I'm here to do a report slash sermon on uh, my trip, my recent trip to Sierra Leone, Africa. We just got back about a week ago now, a little, little over a week we got back. Go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to Acts chapter 13, over to Acts chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I would like to tell you a little story. Um, it's an interesting story, in fact. And it has to do with the slide behind me currently. Now, Josh, is there a laser on this? Okay, good deal. In Acts chapter 13, and we'll, I'll meet you there in just a moment, we're going to talk about exactly what I'm doing here. But while I was over there, the first Sunday we got there, we went and worshipped with a small village called Coca-Fole. And on that Sunday night that we were there, there was a young man by the name Adresa. I preached a sermon titled, Weary Yet Pursuing. It was from Judges chapter 8 and verse 4, talking about Gideon's army and how they were weary, but they continued pushing. So I phrased the question in, in a number of ways that we have to continue pushing, but if you haven't become a Christian, you cannot push. There's nothing to push. And so we talked about baptism. Adresa was baptized. But there's a, there's a little more to that story than just him being baptized, you see. Over there, bodies of water are far and few between. And the nearest body of water was three miles away. Typically, we would take motorcycle taxis everywhere we went, but this was at night. This was at, you could see, it was dark out. So we said, well, let's start walking. He got, he came with us. We started walking to the Sewer River to baptize him. And on the walk there, he kept asking us, oh, are you sure you want to walk with me all this way to He didn't want to inconvenience us. You know, we, we look different. We look soft. You know, he, he didn't want us to go. And he kept asking, are you sure? We said, no, we're, we're taking you to be baptized. And he put his arm around me. He said, I just want to be a free man. He was ready. He understood the commitment. He understood what it was for. And that was a highlight of the trip, certainly. And this is him uh, right next to me. Uh, this is Adresa, serving the Lord faithfully today. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the command that not only the apostles were given, but we were also given. Going to all the nations where the gospel has not yet been spread. And in Acts chapter 13, look at verse 1. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with the Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2 says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they were called out by the Holy Spirit to go do this work. And this was going to take a certain amount of materials. This was going to take a certain amount of money. This was going to take some time and effort for them to do. But it was the church at Antioch who sent them out. Go over to chapter 14 and look at verse 26. After they sent them out, in verse 26 it says, From there they sailed where? To Antioch from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And that's what I'm here to do with each one of you tonight. I am so thankful that you all supported me in the way that I could go and do this. And I'm here to tell you a little bit about the trip to Sierra Leone. Now I'll get to some more specific details of where that is. Some of you might be asking. But before I discuss that, I have to ask a favor of each one of you. Unless you've been to Africa or in a familiar country like that, I want you to forget all the knowledge that you've been told about Africa. Because it's not a lot of the times what we think. I didn't see any lions. I didn't see any elephants. I didn't see any giraffes. Sierra Leone was up here on the coast. Uh, most of the giraffes and all that good stuff is further inland. 
It is the seventh poorest country in the world. Sierra Leone is roughly about the size of South Carolina, 12 degrees off the equator. It is a former British colony made up of three provinces, northern, eastern, and southern. And we stayed primarily uh, the whole time in Bo. This region right here, it's about a four-hour drive from Freetown. We fly into Freetown. Now, something that needs to be noted, it's about 14 districts, 90 to 100 degrees on any given day. It's the rainy season from April to July. It's more like a rainforest-type climate. And the majority of the people there are Muslim, um, of the Muslim faith. But it's, again, I'm about to ask you to wipe all that you might think about the Muslims. We let the media and CNN shape what we think about Muslims, and we immediately sometimes jump to the conclusion, extremists, radicalists, they're going to kill you. It's not at all the kind of Muslims we were studying with. These were people who were Muslims simply because their parents were Muslims, and they were just ill-informed about who Jesus Christ is. And that's exactly what we have in America. People who are ill-informed of who Jesus Christ is. And we, in a humble way, have to show them otherwise. In Sierra Leone, um, well, of course, this is the route we took. We went from the United States, so we went from Louisville to Chicago, Chicago over here to Brussels, uh, Belgium, and then down to Sierra Leone. Uh, this was a video of the weather. The storms there are really, really cool. Because it's so close to the equator, the clouds are really further to the ground than when there's storms here. In Sierra Leone, there was a civil war in 1991, launched by the Revolutionary United Front by a guy named Fode Sanko. Thousands died. Brothers fighting against brothers, children, soldiers employed. I'm sure many of you remember this on the news during that time. One-third of the population displaced. It was a horrible, horrible war. We had uh, brethren go over there. First time in 2010, we had Phil Morgan, Sid Latham, and some others, along with Steve Niemeyer, go back over to this area in Freetown. We had a bunch of them fly over here, six of them, and then they all split up. Phil Morgan and Sid Latham went to Bow. That's where we were, and converted some people and started the work there. The Civil War resulted in a lot of deaths and a lot of uh, discrimination, but also we've had men going to Sierra Leone ever since 2010, with the exception of 2014, when there was the Ebola crisis. Nobody could go in. Uh, nobody could come out either. Um, this is a billboard in particular up here asking people not to discriminate against Ebola survivors. A lot of people that would survive from Ebola then could not do anything else in society, but even though they were clean, they, they couldn't. So there was a lot of campaign to get people to be more accepting of Ebola survivors. It was kind of interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about where we started. We started in good old Louisville, Kentucky. Had Kentucky fried chicken before we left, only to find out the only thing to eat there, chicken. So that was really good. To my left, or to your left, you have Sid Latham. He preaches at Fayette Church of Christ in Lexington, Kentucky. Some of you might have known him or heard him. or Actually, I think he held a meeting here, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Sid is a very, very good guy, as you know. He's been there every year since 2010, with the exception of 2014. None of us here in this group except Sid had been overseas. I'd never been on an airplane before. In the middle, you have Greg Gravitt. He's not as silly as he seems, but he preaches at Oldham Woods Church of Christ in LaGrange, Kentucky. He spent a year in Brazil Spent some time in Belize, some time in Romania, some time in Moldova. He, he spent a lot of time in foreign countries. Lived in Brazil for a year. Um, is very, very knowledgeable in the scriptures. And then to the right you have a man named Tristan Ganchero. Some of you might know him. He does the preacher and training program at Douglas Hills Church of Christ in Louisville under Brother Paul Earnhardt and Mark McCrary, who I saw you all have come in for a meeting. But Tristan spent a year in China teaching English in the schools and working with the church there. He is very qualified. I was the only one tagging along. So it was a lot of, lot of learning experience. This is the Brussels airport, and then this is us when we finally got there. But here's who I'm going to brag on for a few minutes now. In the middle, the gentleman standing next to me and next to Greg, his name is Mohammed Masakoy. Mohammed Masakoy was converted in 2010 or 2011. He was a student in the college there. Sid and Phil had been preaching, and he came out and heard the gospel and obeyed it and became a Christian. Now, that's not that, that that's a happy story, amen. But the hardships came, and he endured through them. I think that's the more happy story. 
He quit school, gave it up to preach, was very well educated, has been offered jobs to go back to Freetown to work as a businessman and an assistant for his, his sister who's a businesswoman. The Jehovah Witnesses are over there too. This is kind of an interesting story. The Jehovah Witnesses make trips over there and they started studying with him, but he's trying to study with them. And it's, it's kind of a back and forth kind of thing and they've never had someone knowledgeable in the scriptures as well as him to be able to study with like that. You know what they did? They offered him a job if he would convert. He refused to do it. He is a very, very diligent man. I spent almost all of my time with him. Muhammad is a very sincere guy. Uh, he kept us safe. He kept us from getting into our <laughs> what they so lovingly call the white man tax. Means you know they see you come and they know you're not from here. They jack up the price. He didn't let that happen. Uh, he, he helped us avoid that. But he's a, he's an amazing, amazing man. Works diligently um, for the Lord. I have nothing but good things to say about him. He preaches at a lot of these villages I'm going to talk about in just a few moments. So, this is the motel we stayed at. It was called the J&M Motel. Chicken and rice every night. You can ask me about the food after. That's obviously not all that important. Uh, here's the room we stayed in and the restroom. But let's get to this. The church at Bow. So, this is where they're meeting currently. There was a group that went over, Andy Diesel Camp and David Diesel Camp from Illinois. They went there not that long ago. And I need it to be very clear how autonomous the church is over there at Bow. Self-supportive. They pay for their own things. None of the churches in America are sending them anything except for the preachers themselves are getting support like I might get support. That's it. Well, their landlord that they were renting a church building from found out that they were uh, there were Americans involved and they tripled the rent. What do you do? They had to move out. They're worshiping outside, outside of this compound right here, outside of this woman's home. Leading singing right there is Francis. Um, then, well, there we go. There's Francis. Francis is the song leader there, does an excellent job. Up here you have Frank. Frank uh, is one of the pillars of that congregation. He does a very good job of being in that stable environment. Frank has polio. That's not something we don't, we don't think about that very often. We found the cure here. We, we've taken care of it here, but it's still affecting people. Patrick is another man in here. He's a Bible class teacher. Muhammad Jabi is right here. He is also a preacher and a teacher. Muhammad Masakoy, so there's going to be two Muhammads. I'll make the distinction between the two of them. But I went back and forth with them a lot to different Bible studies. The church at Bow, I'll say more about their services and how they act towards the end of this, um, this service. Uh, there's me teaching Bible class. We would teach anything from Judges 8-4 to the work of the church to peacemaking, things like that. And then at the motel we were staying at, every morning from 9 to 11, two of us of the four would stay at the hotel. For the first week and two days we were there, it would be Greg and Tristan. They would stay at that motel I showed you a picture of, and people would come in from the community and have Bible studies with them. Sid and I would go out to what they call the bush or the villages um, and teach and hold studies there. I'll have more to say about that. And then every evening we would flip-flop. So Greg and Tristan would go out and then Sid and I would stay back. And this changed from week to, uh, from day to day, but that was roughly the schedule we had at the motel. But there were very, very beneficial studies there. We had... Three, uh, four baptisms total from the motel studies. We had nine baptisms while we were over there. Not that that's a measure of success at all. Um, strengthening brethren, I believe, is another good way to measure success over there. This is Mabel. She worked at the motel. Very sincere. Had a lot of questions. Up here we have Abadar. Abadar was baptized towards the end of the trip through these studies. Um, a young man named Joseph was baptized through these studies. But Joseph actually has a really interesting story, too. While me and Sid Latham were out at uh, in, in the bush, he was at this morning study, uh, study they had. And while we were gone, we came back at noon, and Sid and or, uh, Greg and Tristan said to us, hey, someone was baptized while you were gone. And we were like, that's great. Where's he at? They said, oh, he's coming back. They had to go to the river to baptize him. They had to go change. And, but he stopped at his village to tell his fiance and his family he had just been baptized and that he wanted them to come and hear the gospel. Well, when he gets there, he found out and caught 
and found out his fiance was with another man. And he comes back to the motel, me not knowing this, and I was like, why is this guy so sad? He's just been baptized. And I didn't know that that horrible thing had happened to him, but we took him to, to Matthew 4. Jesus was tempted right after his baptism. We have to endure through these things. And, and when we left, he seemed strengthened. He seemed to be doing good. But that, that kind of thing is, 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 is over there. Sexual immorality is big over there. And I'll say more about that later, too. I know I keep saying that. Uh, we mainly did question and answers at these as well. A lot of questions were asked. I have those later as well. Uh, this is just another one of the uh, pictures of us studying on the porch. And then this is the part where I go through all of the villages we went to. But first, I've got to explain. So you have the church at Bow right here. Here's Bow. This is it's one of the provinces, one of the cities, about a quarter million people there. And you have the city of Bow, and then three or four miles out, you have a village, and then you have another village, and then you have another, and you have another, and you have another. So these people, they can't all come to the church at Bow. Those who live in the city of Bow go to Bow Church of Christ. But then you have all these other villages where there are Christians. And Muhammad Massacre, guess what he does? Every Sunday, he makes his way, riding a bicycle, around to all these churches to preach at them. He has some help from some of the brethren there at Bow, but they make their way around. Throughout the day, when we weren't at the motel teaching studies there, we were in these villages teaching studies. For the first week and two days, all four of us were in Bow, staying at that motel. For the last week and a half, roughly... Sid and Tristan went to a town called Jalal. It's about an hour away, an hour's car ride away, and Greg and I stayed back. So I'm going to go through some of these villages and just talk about some of the things we taught, some of the things we ran into there. This is where four of the other baptisms came from, actually, a little village called Torwama. Tristan and I made a couple trips out there. On one trip in particular, Muhammad Jabi told us that there were two boys he'd been studying with that he wanted us to talk to because they said they wanted to be baptized. Well, that resulted in four boys being baptized. We taught many different things. Uh, we talked about the Lord's Supper and contribution, but we talked about sexual immorality. You've got 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old boys here just been baptized. They, they need to learn about that. They need to hear about that. Um, we talked a lot about Mark chapter 2 and 3, and we talked about chapter 4. We talked about the parable of the sower. There were a lot of things we were trying to ground them in. That way, when we left, they would have enough knowledge to stay strong and continue growing without us there, obviously. So that was Torwama. This is where we would meet at, a little community center there. This is the village chief. He was a really friendly guy. His son is actually a Christian. Um, this is Tristan teaching. I think he was teaching Mark 1 in that picture with some of the brothers there. Uh, before I go any further, too, I should probably go ahead and talk about I'm not about to talk about New York City. It's a, it's a different New York. I know you're looking at it weird. But I want us to talk about the language that they spoke over there. You can see in this last picture uh, Tristan teaching and then Muhammad Jabi translating. Well, they have a language called Creole, and it's not the French and English Creole we know. It's K-R-I-O, or another language they use is Minde. Remember what um, we were talking about, that it was a former British colony. Well, also, if you remember in relation to where it is to North America, right there on the coast, a lot of the slaves came from Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea. Well, when slavery was abolished, as it should have been, they all came back to Sierra Leone. What was America? A British colony. So they brought this colonialized English into there, not only, not only to mention the British colony itself, and they mixed it with tribal language. And you get Creole and Mende. But what was odd about it is, some of their words are in English and then randomly in tribal language. So I, their, their words are enough in English that I can be sitting there talking to someone and piece together what they're saying, but then I can't talk back. I have to have a translator tell them what I say because I don't know all the filler words. So that, that was pretty interesting. So in some places, we had to have a translator. Some places we did not. Uh, most of the people there are educated, and they know English. Um, so it just varied uh, as needed. New York, this was New York, the section in Bow. Uh, they said a lot of Americans, when they come over there, like to take a picture of that, because that, 
it's kind of comical um, that we go 7,000 miles away and there's a New York there as well. But we studied with a brother named Kawa. Kawa is right here. Kawa is a member at Bo. He walks three or four miles every Sunday to go and worship with the church at Bo. Because in his village, he is the only Christian. The man to his left is, um, is Sunday. S-U-N-D-I. It's not like I'm saying Sunday. It's Sunday. He is a Catholic. But what's interesting about Kawa in particular, the one that's an actual, that, that's a Christian, his wife has never shown any interest in the gospel. And I, we got to talking to him about it one day. He was very frustrated, and we kind of came to the conclusion he wasn't being patient enough. And so, one day when he wasn't there, I, I went by with Tristan, and we started studying with his wife. His wife was out there in this little house back here. Um, and as we were teaching, another person came up. And another person came up. And another person came up. And, it, and we ended up having four or five gathered in just that little area to have a Bible study. And uh, there was actually a guy named Adam there who was very knowledgeable. I, I, I didn't catch where he said he went to church, uh, but Muhammad Massacre is going to follow up with him. He was translating for me, even though he's not a Christian. Just a friendly guy that was willing to translate for us. And um, he was very beneficial. He actually had three thumbs. Not kidding. That, that was pretty cool. Um, then we went to Yemo Town. We were at Emo Town every morning at 8 a.m. Sid and I did that until they went to Jalal, him and Tristan. Um, but we taught the book of Luke. Behind me is Sid Latham, obviously. That's James, Muhammad Masakoy, and two of James' friends. James lives with his grandmother in that house behind me. And we would gather, we would gather there um, every morning, 8 o'clock. Study the book of Luke. It went anywhere from an hour to two hours, just depending on how many questions they had. James is about 19. He eventually landed to study with the women that live behind this house. And we were teaching the book of Mark to them. Right to the left of this house is a big compound uh, that's a schoolyard. And there's a man named Dennis who works there taking registration for the vote, uh, for the election that's coming up. He registers voters. They're not in school right now, so they were using the facilities for that. And Dennis was uh, up there working, and he is clearly spiritually minded. He's off on a few things. He's off on the Holy Spirit. He's got some odd beliefs about demon possession and things like that. But we studied with him nearly every day. And uh, he really challenged our thinking. We didn't, I can't really say we got too far, uh, but it was very interesting to get to study with him. And I think it was beneficial because when we would study, he would bring all those other people you see up there. And that was great, to be able to study with them. So like I said, emo town every morning at 8 a.m., and then we went to Morfindor. Yes, that village is called Morfindor. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, that there's a movie reference there if you're, if you're a fan. But Ishmael and his wife Augusta lived there. Um, it was the walk from emo town to Morfindor was about two and a half miles. You couldn't take... Uh, motorcycles out there. You had to um, you had to walk out there. It was quite a hike. But Ishmael has a very very interesting story. He was in the midst of choosing between Islam and Christianity, like a lot of people there are. So we studied the Book of Mark. The Book of Mark is actually one of my favorite things to study with people who were not um, children of God. Turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter one, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I think it's one of the better chapters to start a Bible study with someone who especially does not know about Jesus or does not have the correct idea of who Jesus is. In Mark 1, you'll notice verses 1 through 3, we have John the Baptist coming and making the path straight for Jesus. So we have the prophecy about John the Baptist and then him fulfilling that. After John the Baptist prepares the way, we have Jesus coming onto the earth. He's baptized, and what does God say to him in verse 5? Or excuse me, in verse 11? You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. So, right off the bat, you have John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus being baptized, it comes down and says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. What do you have after that? Jesus calling his disciples. The disciples saying that they're going to follow him and drop everything. 
Well, that creates a great opportunity to say to everybody, why would they just drop everything and follow Jesus? And they, they wanted to know, so we would keep reading. Well, this man Jesus could do amazing miracles. He came to Simon's mother-in-law's house in verse 29, healed her. He was preaching and teaching and casting out demons, healing lepers, making the unclean clean by touching them. Chapter 2, the paralytic was healed. Jesus kept doing all of these amazing things. And then I would ask the question, wouldn't you follow a guy like that? A lot of times they'd say yes. That's an opportunity to follow up. So we would come back and study through the book of Mark. And that's exactly what we did with this man, Ishmael. After three studies, Ishmael, um, well, here's, here's the walk there. Um, it was really pretty, like I said. And this is the hut we met in. But after three studies, Ishmael was baptized. And it was very, very encouraging. But I want to talk a little bit about what he asked me before we did it. He looked at me, and I could tell he was hesitating. But I never, I never say, so do you want to be baptized, or should we go baptize you now? That's, that's not for my mouth to say. That's for their mouth to say. That's not up to me. That's up to them. But I could see something was holding him back. I could see it in his eyes. And I was just quiet, and finally he said, Chase, do I have to cut my hair to be baptized? I said, Ishmael, no. Who told you that? So God doesn't care about that. He cares about what's on the inside of your heart. That's what He wants to get to. You know what the crazy thing is, y'all? I know His hair is put up, but it probably comes down to here. But these are the kind of common misconceptions that are taught over there. I don't know by who. I, I really don't. He didn't answer me who, who told him that. But there's a lot of common misconceptions there that have to get straightened out. It was shocking to me that someone had told him that. So that's Morfindor. Ishmael continued to grow. We studied with him every day until we left, except for the Sundays. Um, he was a huge encouragement. Then there's the town called Cocophilae. Cocophilae is the town I started talking about at the beginning of the sermon, where Idrisa was. And I, as I prepared the sermon, I found this picture that someone took. This is Idrisa. And I know maybe you can't see all that well, He's clinging on to every word we're saying. This is a people just like in Acts chapter 17 that wants to know more things about all things religious. They care. And he told me at one point he was, he was a Muslim. The two Muhammads I'm talking about that are preachers, Muhammad Jabi and Muhammad Masakoy, take a stab at what they used to be. They used to be Muslim. And regardless of that, he was clinging on to every single word we said. And it was a real blessing to, to get to baptize him. Um, I didn't mean to. This here is Stephen. Stephen is one of the preachers there in that area. He works out in the bush. He is, uh, that's how he makes his wage. But he was translating for me at that time. Stephen's probably in his 50s. He gets the group together on Sundays and uh, meets with them. Then there was a small town called Gundama. Gundama was about three miles past Coco Filet. This is the town we went to to baptize everybody in because of the river was there, the sewer river. Gundama had a young man named Nicholas. Nicholas is 18 years old and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He meets with about 20 Christians every Sunday in his village and preaches. Nicholas is slouching. He's actually six foot six, six foot seven. He's a really tall guy um, and a really, really good Bible student. We studied with him things I believe preachers are benefited to study, like 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, Titus. Um, many contexts. He gave us many contexts to some of the more liberally-minded brethren that we wanted to go preach to and talk to and work things out. But he was a tremendous contact, and I would ask that you continue to pray for him. He's very diligent in what he does, uh, continuing to study the Word of God. He's actually from a French-speaking country. He speaks French as well. And then there was the town called Kinema. Kinema is a town about an hour's car drive away from Bo. We went there three times. On your left here, you have Ottman Wealth. In 2010, you had Sid Latham and Phil Morgan go. But a year after that, you had a group. Uh, my grandfather, Dan Byer, some of you might know him, John Smith, Steve Nehemiah, and Dan Barker went to Freetown, Sierra Leone, 
and began preaching not only in the church there, but in a town called McKinney, which is north. That's when they met Ottman Wealth, and he came to the knowledge of the Lord. Ottman is now a preacher. While we were in Kinema, he was like two and a half hours away from home, going through villages and teaching the Word of God. There's a church in Kinema. It's called IDA, Church of Christ. It's We always thought it was IDEA, Church of Christ. And we were like, why are they calling themselves the IDEA, Church of Christ? But it's literally the name of their village is I-D-A. There's little things like that we, we overlook a lot. But when we met with those men um, and the brethren there, we had a really good study. And I need to take a moment to talk about what's going on in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone has been preached to for about seven years now. And just like here in the United States after the Reformation, there was a huge church growth. There's a lot of church growth going on here too in Sierra Leone. And in America, when there was that much growth that was fantastic, problems eventually arise in the 50s and the 40s and the 60s. You all know what I'm talking about. Institutionalism, premillennialism, all of those things that happened. Things that were truly matters of individual conscience. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about Romans 14 issues, things that actually were. And what do brethren do? They split over it. Whether it was doctrinal or personal, that's not what I'm here to talk about. But my point is, history repeats itself. When Sid and I were here with these brethren, they were arguing about the same exact things that we argued about in the 50s and 60s. And it's going to divide the church there. So we have been trying to preach on peacemaking over there. There's an amazing book by Ken Sandy called Peacemaking. Or Peacemaker. And it's a fantastic book. And Sid was preaching on humility, patience with one another... And to, to really work through these issues. Because when we were there, they got on the topics of head coverings. And I mean, they were just going at each other, yelling and fussing. And Sid had to really bring them in and tell them, you guys are brothers, you need to talk through these things. Um, I went ahead and took that opportunity to talk about Bible authority here in Kinema. I talked about the ark in Genesis chapter 6. Where Noah was told, go for wood, the specific units of how big it should be. He was told where the door, where the window should be. God was very specific. Had Noah not done it the way God wanted to, he would no longer be a righteous man before God's eyes, and he would also perish. He did it the way God wanted to. In 2 Samuel 6, you have Uzzah. They're transporting the Ark of the Covenant. How are they using it? With a cart. In the book of Exodus, it says to use the poles and to carry it. Because they were using the cart, the oxen shook it. Uzzah reached up to grab it, and he died. They did not do according to God's word. But what I didn't realize, too, was the ark in Genesis 6 and the ark of the covenant in 2 Samuel 6 sound like the same ark. So they were confused for a little bit. So I had to go back and explain that those are two different arks. But that, these are the kinds of things we really had to do a lot of preaching on. We do not want history to repeat itself over there. We don't want them to split down the middle. So I would encourage you to pray for them in your private prayers. Transportation, we were on motorcycles primarily. Um, I did have a, a good, I'll go past that one. There's, we did have a really good video, but it's, it's not working, um, of going over the sewer river. But motor taxis were huge over there. There was only one time. Some of them think it's kind of funny to scare Americans on the motorcycle, so sometimes you've got to watch out for who you get on with. But that was our main source of transportation. Topics of teaching, this is where... I really want us to spend some time. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Not biologically. You know, there's a lot of men here who have sons, biologically. And when people of the Islamic faith there hear that Jesus is the Son of God, they're associating it biologically. God came down from heaven and had relations with Mary. That's what they think. And they, they come to me and say, Chase, we just don't like that idea. I'm like, well, I don't either. That's not what happened. Let's go to Luke. So we would go over to Luke and we would talk about how Jesus became and how he was the Son of God. And that was a huge thing we had to talk about over there. Second thing we had to talk about in regard to the Son of God. I got two big questions. Is the God we serve the same God, Allah, that the Muslims serve? And I I didn't really want to spend too much time talking about Allah. So I would just say, you know what, I don't know. 
I don't know who they worship. I know who I worship, and I know who Yahweh is in the Bible. That's who we should worship. And typically that would suffice. The second thing in regard to this that they would often ask, they thought that the Christians worship three gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We had to do a lot of preaching on the unity of those three. Um, that was a common misconception. Musical instruments, we had to do a lot of talking there. We went to Jeremiah 31, 31, Hebrews, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.16, some of those other passages to ground them that the old wall, old law had passed away, new law established, this is how we worship God. MDR, I mean marriage, divorce, remarriage. That was big over there. Why is that not surprising? It's an issue here. We talk about it here. What is sin? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. James chapter 1, James chapter 2. A lot of question and answer. And you know what dumbfounds me about the list I cultivated over there of questions and topics of teaching? They're the same exact topics of teaching we use over here and have to be taught in the church today. My grandfather, like I said, has been over there. Before, and when I was preparing for the trip, I said to him, Papa, what's the biggest problem in the church over there? He said, you know, it's funny, it's, it's fornication, sexual immorality, marriage, divorce, remarriage. So you know what's interesting about that? It's one of the same biggest problems in the church in the United States. People do not heed to God's word regarding to those topics. And it's a hard topic to teach. We did radio programs over there. We did two in the course we were there. That's Radio News Song, FM 97.5, Reaching the Unreached. It's Greg Gravitt and I. And then behind me, that's Muhammad Masakoy in the red shirt. He would stand in that room and uh, translate for us as we taught. Wednesday night, we had the spotlight hour, is what they called it, from 8 to 9 o'clock. We gave reasons and evidences why Jesus is the Son of God. Again, that's one of the biggest things over there. We went to Mark chapter 1, verse 11. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We went to Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And then, of course, in Romans 1, it talks about the resurrection being the proof that Jesus is the Son of God. And we spent about an hour talking about those things. We would take question and answer throughout the program as it progressed. Muhammad would translate for us if we didn't understand the questions, and we would answer them as best as we could. Thursday night, we were on the radio from 5 to 6. There were the seven signs of John is what we did. Water to wine, healing of noble man's son, pull of Bethsaida, 5,000 fed, walking on water, healing of the blind man, rising, or raising Lazarus from the dead. These are the seven signs that prove what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then real quickly, we went through the seven I am's. Jesus Christ, I am the bread. He said, I am the light. I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way and the truth. I am the vine. And that was one of the biggest things we taught over there. Who is Jesus Christ? Orality was one of the main ways we taught over there. Orality is thought and verbal expression in societies where the technologies of literacy, especially writing and print, are unfamiliar to most of the population. Let me try and explain this a little bit better, okay? Everyone get your Bibles out. Turn them over to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 there in just a moment. So, imagine being in school, okay? Third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, who knows? You're in school learning English. And all of a sudden, three, one of three things happens, okay? Number one, your teacher gets taken to war. Number two, you get taken to war, regardless of your age. Or number three, your family flees to avoid going to war. That's what happened during the Civil War. So, yeah, education got put on the back burner. The way they read, I liken it to me learning French in high school. I learned it. I remember some words. I remember what fish is in French for some reason. I remember some things here and there. And if you put a French Bible in front of me, 
I'd be able to read it. I wouldn't know what any of it said, but I'd be able to read it. I might be able to get a few words here and there because I took French. Okay, liken it to them reading their Bible. They speak English. They know English. They can read English, but they not might understand all the words there because they are not trained to learn the same way we are. They are what they call oral or visual learners. Let me put it another way. I had a 1999 Ford Ranger. The ball joints went out on it. I was in college and I didn't have enough money to send it off to get fixed. So what did I do? I went and bought a book. I was like, I'm going to fix this myself. And I got the parts and everything and I was looking at the book. Had no idea how to do it. What was my next step? Someone's already reading my mind. YouTube. Went over to YouTube. Googled. 1999, Ford Ranger, ball joint replacement. Some guy, probably from the south, had a video on how I could fix my truck. I did, I fixed my truck just like that. You see what I mean though? They couldn't, I couldn't take that manual and read it and understand what it meant because I, I didn't know what half of those parts were, what those words meant. But I went over here and I was able to do it and see it. Okay? They're the same way with the Bible. They might be able to read these words and get the general idea, but to drive the point home, we used orality. And I'll give you an example. This is Tristan. The seven signs of John, the water to wine, he went through each one of these. He says, this is the water to wine, and he went down through them. And you know what they were able to do? They memorized them because they were visually seeing it and able to make the application from the water bottle to the water to wine and remember the signs of John, seven signs of John like that. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, this is one I used a lot. I'm going to step down here and show you all what I did. I would take three objects, typically my hat. This is the hat I wore over there. Something big and heavy, like my backpack I had. Then I'd take a water bottle, something like that, and I'd place it just like that, okay? I'd go to Isaiah chapter 59. Let's read verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Pause there. So I would take that opportunity to, to say, well, if you were falling off a cliff, would you want someone with a long arm to save you? Or someone with, you know, short alligator arms? It's, oh, we'd want someone with long arms. I'd say, well, God's got long arms. That's not the problem. And he's got good hearing. That's not the problem either. What, let's read what the problem is. Look at verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I come over here. This is you. This is your sin. This is God. Your sin is separating you from God. There's no way you can get to him on your own. What do you do? Well, they would say, we've got to remove this. So that's exactly right. That's exactly what you got to do. I'd say, well, let's see what Romans chapter 5 says. We go over to Romans chapter 5. In verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be Saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And then what would they ask? Is that Jesus? They're talking about Jesus? Yes, Jesus came to die for your sins. He was the way to remove your sin so you would no longer be separated and you could go to the Father. And you see how they were visually able to see this? Just reading it, they couldn't paint the picture. They, this is called teaching with orality. And it was very, very effective. Then we go to chapter, or chapter 3 and verse 23. Chapter 3 and verse 23, of course, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's just very important to understand that just because they don't sound like us, and just because they don't look like us, doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. They're, they're far more intelligent than me. Just in different ways. And they, ha- they learn a different way. And we had to rise to that challenge. 
And I'll end with this right here. I'm sure a lot of you all are asking, what kind of things did they teach over there? How did their Bible class, how did their services go? Well, I'll tell you how it went. The church at Bow met at 9 o'clock. They had a Bible class. And they had a prayer. And they had the Lord's Supper. And then they had a sermon. And then if anyone wanted to be baptized, they made that available. They worshiped the same way we did. I want everybody to get your psalm books out and turn over to number 109 in the big song books. Number 109. I'm going to play a recording for you. I'm going to play a recording for you of their singing. Number 109, follow along, verses 3 and 4. Brethren there have nothing. They don't have permanent homes. Some of them do. They don't have food regularly. They don't have cars. They don't have access to Bibles abundantly like we do. But they have the Lord. They have heaven's table land. Those are the things that they look forward to. And when we try to preach to a group of people over here sometimes, they have everything that they need. And they don't want this. And when we go over there and they have nothing, this is still what they want. They don't care about all that other stuff. This is what they want, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't liken that to how much we have and how much they don't have to make us feel bad. That's not at all what I'm I'm trying to do. But make us understand. All that we have, we use it for God's glory. I'm not saying to go sell all you have or anything like that. The encouragement is simply, use everything you have for God's glory. Without exception. Everything. Your family. Your car. Everything you have. That is what they would be doing if they had all the things we had. Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6. If you're not a child of God tonight, I want you to think about Romans chapter 6. This is one of the things we, we taught a lot over there. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about our Lord. Our Lord was scourged, beaten on the head, mocked, hung on a cross, and laughed at, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! 
and spit on them. And they killed him. And then they buried him. He's dead. What a Lord he is now is what they were thinking. Three days later, two women came to come, came, put spices on this body, and they found linen wrappings. He was gone. Jesus had risen from the dead. And we might ask the question, what does that mean to me? That happened years ago. That means nothing to me. Look at chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? You know what that verse is saying? When you were baptized, you died. Just like the Lord died. The immoral person we were, the man of sin, he died in the water. And verse 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. What do you do with the dead body? You bury it. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That old man of sin dies in the water. We bury him. And we're raised out of the water like Jesus was raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. Acts 2.38 says that is how our sins are forgiven. If you haven't been baptized, or if you're a child of God and you've left the faith, or maybe you're struggling with something, this is a family here. This is not an institution. This is not a doctor's office. This is a family of close relatives who will help you. And you can come to them and they will help you. And if you need to be baptized, we can do that tonight as well. If we can help you in any way, won't you make your way to the front as we stand and as we sing?